Hi, I'm Laurie Grant, Managing Editor of Transport Topics, and welcome to our latest installment of Transport Topics Live on Web. Today, we're going to peer into 2015 for a bit to get a sense of what the new year holds on both the business front and government regulations. We'll also look back at the year that was to highlight some of the issues that grip the trucking industry. I'm joined by senior business writer Rip Watson, who will tell us about freight demand, the driver shortage, mergers, and the impact of lower fuel prices and more. Also joining us is Eugene Mulero. He covers congressional and governmental affairs for transport topics, as does RIP. He'll walk us through what to expect from lawmakers when the U.S. Congress reconvenes in January, now that the government has fresh funding of $1 trillion, and where things stand with highway funding and, of course, the hours of service rule. We welcome your interaction as well. Send your questions or comments via email to share at ttnews.com, or you can send a tweet to hashtag LiveOnWeb2015, or you can comment directly on this article page in the box at the top of the container. Let's get started. Rip, I'll start with you. The trucking industry is poised uh, to head into the new year with a great deal of demand. Can you tell us what's behind it and what the industry plans in order to meet that demand? Yeah, thanks, Larry. Uh, what we're looking at here is a very, very strong end to 2014. Uh, GDP uh, was at the strongest level uh, in 11 years during the second and third quarter. Uh, there's pretty widespread view that in 2015 there's going to be something on the order of 3% growth in the U.S. That makes for a really good uh, situation for the industry. Um, before I get into the 2015 view, I think I just want to mention one thing. There's a gentleman named uh, Chad England, who is at uh, CR England, who is fond of saying it's a good time to be a trucker. And for a change, that's definitely the case. Um, as far as 2015 goes by segments, we've really got uh, a pretty strong outlook in the dry van area, which is by far the largest area of trucking. Uh, so far in 2014, uh, the less than truckload business has been really strong as well and could continue at some uh, favorable pace. Uh, flatbed has been down a little bit uh, compared to the others, but uh, with a potential increase in the housing market, which is uh, widely expected, that's going to help flatbed uh, quite a bit. The reefer business is very much up and down. Uh, those of you who uh, eat lots of produce in the summer, that all came in a truck and that makes for a very busy season for them right now. Uh, the only other section I haven't talked about briefly is tank. The tank truck sector has been the main driving force for the, a for the ATA tonnage index, which is literally at record levels or near record levels. Um, as far as 2015 goes, uh, I don't want to get too far into fuel prices right now, Lori, but what we've got looking at uh, this year in the uh, energy sector is the impact of lower fuel prices, which we'll all be talking about later. Well, fantastic. You know, what's interesting um, while we talk about all of this is capacity has also been such a big deal and also been one of the worries for the industry. Tell us a little bit about, you know, in light of everything you just said, tell us a little bit more about capacity and how, you know, all of this erupted for us this year. 
Well, um, I think there's no question that there's uh, capacity question. The capacity issue is totally uh, tied to the driver situation because if you don't have a driver, uh, you're not going to be able to run your freight. Uh, there have been cases this year earlier where there have been fleets that have talked about having seven or eight percent of their trucks unseated because they can't find drivers. Uh, right now, uh, there is a feeling that the driver shortage is going to get worse. Uh, there are a lot of questions also uh, about how many new trucks fleets are going to be buying. There's been a huge purchase uh, surge at the end of the year, which so far uh, has sh not shown any signs of abating. But if we don't have uh, drivers, then there's not going to be enough, there's not going to be as much of a reason to buy new trucks. Well, then let's talk about the driver a little bit more because there's a capacity issue there as well. What are companies doing to recruit? Um, any idea why there is such a shortage? How will how will how will drivers get in trucks so that trucks can move all of these goods that are in demand? Well, that's a fantastic question and one that we could spend the rest of the day on. But in short, what we're looking at here is an aging driver workforce, uh, and we're looking at uh, the conventional view that nobody wants their uh, son or daughter to be a truck driver. Um, I think that's going to have to change. There are some signs that it is. Uh, one of the shorter term issues that's uh, being watched very carefully is driver pay. Uh, in the third quarter, um, the pace of fleets that raised driver pay just about quadrupled from the previous record. Uh, some of those pay increases have been 12, 13, 14 percent. Uh, so essentially where we're going here is if you want to make a bit of a better living, um, one place you can do it is in a truck. I'm sure the industry finds that encouraging. Let's hope uh, there are people out there who also want to do that. Eugene, let's bring you in. Uh, President Obama signed a trillion-dollar spending bill late last night. We're going to come back to what's in the bill for trucking. But first, what I want to talk about or, or want you to talk about is the Congress, which is now uh, made up of a Republican House while the Senate is led by um, the Democrats. But when everyone returns... Uh, it's going to be Republican-led in both chambers. So who are some of the new players uh, that trucking should care about? And, yeah, thank you, Lori. And then for the trucking industry, uh, the next Congress that is expected to, to start in mid-January, uh, it looks like there's going to be um, some very lawmakers that have strong rapport with the trucking industry in uh, positions of power. And they include uh, Senator John Thune, uh, who's going to be taking over the Senate Commerce Committee, which oversees uh, trucking safety uh, provisions. Uh, then we have uh, Senator Susan Collins, who has rapport with the trucking industry. And as m many people know, she was uh, a leader in getting the suspension of the restart rules. Uh, and she's going to be head, the, the chairman of a subcommittee that controls transportation funding in the Senate. And then uh, we have Senator J James Inhofe, uh, who is um, a Republican of uh, Oklahoma, and he's very, uh, has conservative Republican ideals, but he's also um, a person who historically has been pro-freight, pro-transportation, and he uh, has adamantly uh, talked about 
expanding the transportation reach and transportation dollars to benefit the trucking sector, construction sector. Uh, and Senator Inhofe is going to be chairman of the EPW committee uh, and the Environment and Public Works Committee is responsible for being the main author of the next highway bill. And this is a bill that the trucking industry is looking to plug in a lot of provisions to. Uh, and over in the House, we have um, Congressman Bill Schuster, a Republican of Pennsylvania, who's still going to be chairman of the Transportation Committee. And Bill Schuster um, and his father, who used to be chairman of the committee before him, um, they have, uh, again, rapport with uh, the, the freight sector, the trucking sector, and um, we expect provisions, and he's going to work with Inhofe on getting a bill advanced in the next year, and he's um, expected to um, collaborate and advance uh, this new highway bill next year that could have uh, a strong impact on, you know, how the trucking industry operates. The bill will expire in May, correct? The highway funding bill. Is there, do we know any more yet about what might, uh, what it, what's needed to bolster it? Will it stay as it is? And, or, or things that didn't work this year that might, uh, they might look to kick out, you know, and replace next year, anything like that? Yes. Um, I need to preface, I need to preface this with the, the thing to watch for in the 2015 Congress is that we're still going to see a lot of congressional gridlock. Uh, so even though, like you said, uh, the, this highway bill expires in May, um, and there, there has to be a new highway law to reauthorize this one, and there, the trucking industry is looking to um, have lawmakers inject provisions in that reauthorization uh, that will make either permanently or permanently uh, the suspension of the HOS uh, restart. Um, again, um, what we saw in the lame duck session is um, a prelude to what's going to happen in the next Congress, gridlock and not much progress getting any, you know, meaningful legislation, not just for transportation, but we're talking the whole spectrum um, at, at passing next year. So to go back to your question, you know, I do know that the trucking sector wants to um, put in provisions to uh, make permanent uh, the suspension of the restart um, uh, rule, FMCSA, uh, and also um, funding. I know that the trucking industry wants to ensure that the bill writers uh, do not put language in the bill uh, that would authorize tolls and expand the use of tolling uh, throughout the country. And that tolling issue is something that the Obama White House has proposed, uh, allowing for tolling on existing interstates. Um, so that's a few things of what to watch for. But again, the 2015, when Congress comes back next year, gridlock is pretty much what a lot of people are expecting from them. Well, let's all hope you're, you're wrong about uh. that. But we have you here for your expertise, so cer I'm certain you're right. Once again, I want to remind our viewers this is live on web, the edition of Transport Topics. I'm Managing Editor Lori Grant, and with me are my colleagues, Congressional Reporter Eugene Malero, that's who was just speaking, and also with us is Rip Watson, Senior Business Reporter. We welcome your participation. Please send us your questions or comments via email to share at ttnews.com, or you can send a tweet to hashtag LiveOnWeb2015, 
or you can comment directly to this article page in the box at the top of the container. All right. So um, I understand there's a question here. So um, let me see who it's for. Uh, from Doug Wilkes, he wants to know, in 2014, a moderate growth in GT GDP strained supply chains across North America. Is there a GDP growth number that will cause supply chains to break? Rip, you want to take a stab at that one? Um, I'll try that. Um, before I answer it, I'm going to say that makes me think a little bit about those of you who were, uh, remember Johnny Carson. This is kind of asking me to be Karnak the Magnificent, one of his favorite characters. Uh -huh. um, it's a very tough question. Um, there's certainly a, an upper level somewhere. Uh, some people have suggested 4 or 5%, but I don't think anybody really knows for sure uh, because we are, don't know yet um, just how much um, issue there is going to be in terms of finding drivers and trucks. I happen to believe that there is always a market that's going to work and one way or another that freight's going to get moved, there's going to be dislocations, but one way or the other uh, goods are going to get to the market. Okay. Well, we have another one uh, as well. You were talking about the driver a little earlier. Alex wants to know, are trucking companies reaching out to high schools and colleges to recruit young drivers? Uh, there's no question of that. Um, the number of fleets that have opened their own driving schools has gone up very sharply in the last few years. Um, at the same time, there are companies that are focusing on making deals with driving schools uh, where they can get new uh, graduates and they are pulling those folks directly out of the schools before somebody else can get at them. Uh, there's also the question that there is a 21-year-old uh, nationwide limit for interstate drivers and that has absolutely uh, made some fleets beside themselves because they would very much like to get those drivers uh, before they find another career somewhere else in another industry. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I want to pivot here and talk a little bit about safety. Uh, the $1 trillion spending bill is now signed by the president, and it was packed with add-ons that really could not get through the Congress on their own. So one of the things in it is rolling back safety rules that were supposed to keep sleepy truckers from causing wrecks. The government's rules had effectively shortened the truckers' work week. So, Eugene, uh, there was lots of wrangling over this issue of hours of service in the last Congress. First, tell us what hours of service is, and then tell us what it could bring in 2015. Yes, the hours of service that uh, the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration uh, has pr proposed and it has become um, you know, regulation um, just mandating and offering a requisite on how, many, how much time the truckers can spend on the roads. So it's just regulating the work week for a truck driver, okay. uh, to put it plainly. Um, and the concern has been that within, from the trucking perspective is that 
since a new set of rules went into effect uh, in the summer of 2013, uh, they put uh, more limitations on the amount of time that drivers can be on the road. And the trucking industry and the trucking sector writ large uh, have been opposed to um, these certain limits. Um, and if I can just tell you what has happened, mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, President Obama signed a bill last night, this omnibus funding bill, that included uh, that includes a provision to suspend parts of this new H. Howard Service regulation. And I want to just make sure for our, our people that we get the language right, that now this is into effect, the suspension of this part of the hours of service rule, and essentially drivers will be permitted to uh, start their weekly work weeks uh, by taking a 34-hour restart, but not accounting for the back-to-back -back 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. requirement. They can do that immediately or once starting in January? When does no. is this bill, this bill is now, law right now? Yeah, okay. I, as soon as the law went into effect, which mm -hmm. was last night, mm -hmm. this suspension of the new restart rules. It's immediate. Yeah, okay. the 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. back-to-back requirements, which a lot of people in the trucking sector are familiar with, this went into effect immediately and also FMCSA, the agency, they have to, uh, within 90 days, uh, begin and craft a, a study of the new hours of service rules, and they have to uh, present this study to Congress. And this law, they have till September 30th, 2015, when the law expires, because mm -hmm. this is part of a funding bill. Um, and the trucking sector... Um, the, the one thing to watch out for is that we're waiting for um, the suppliers of logging devices have to now redo some of their software to accommodate for this new law. And also, I just got a statement from uh, the agency, FMCSA, and uh, they're telling us exclusively, Transport Topics, and this is something we're going to have on ttnews.com this week, uh, that FMCSA is preparing uh, to put a notice in the Federal Register, um, and they're going to have um, advice to the public on what the restart restrictions are required by law. And also, FMCSA says, quote, that they're working to ensure that the 12,000 state and federal motor carrier enforcement personnel are prepared to revert back to the previous restart. So there's going to be guidance from, from FMCSA and the Federal Register coming soon. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, we, and then, as I said before, um, the trucking sector is looking to make these suspensions permanently. Well, thanks for breaking news. Uh, Rip, I, I got to ask you then, um, in light of this being uh, effective immediately, you know, a lot of, a lot of what happened is a result of uh, the trucking industry fighting back and deciding, you know, they, they were just quite resentful of being told when they could be behind the wheel. But, you know, right in the middle of all of the push and pull between the industry and the government was this deadly accident. So can you tell us what happened and what the implications for, you know, the trucking business is with um, hours of service, you know, just in general? Yeah, absolutely, Laurie. Um, we need to go back six months to uh, early morning, 1 a.m. on the New Jersey Turnpike when a Walmart truck uh, collided with a van that had a, a comedian Tracy Morgan and his party. Uh, they were coming back from an engagement in Delaware. Uh, unfortunately, one of the occupants of the van passed away. Um, because of 
uh, Mr. Morgan's uh, celebrity, this became an immediate national event that put a spotlight on trucking safety. Uh, it's perhaps a little ironic that uh, after this accident, the uh, trucking industry got uh, very much what it was looking for. But we need to take a very broad look at this. We need to remember that over 20 years, trucking <laughs> safety has improved measurably. And it's very important not to forget that. Uh, and it's very important not to focus on just one incident as an indicator of trucking safety. That's just the bottom line. Uh, one of the things that's interesting about this uh, accident, though, is that this uh, driver of the Walmart truck was within a few minutes of the end of his 14-hour on-duty time. And that has definitely made quite a focus on the whole question of just how productive mm -hmm. companies are making their uh, drivers. Now, the thing that we need to remember here is that the industry, when this debate was beginning, was suggesting that 2 to 3 percent of productivity was, re was removed by the restart rules that no longer are in place. So that would suggest, at least to some people, that there could be a 2 to 3 percent boost in productivity that could make life uh, easier for shippers and carriers in terms of matching uh, the growing demand with supply of equipment and drivers. Well, you know, one of the things that uh, truckers wanted to really push back on was when they could be behind the wheel. So the, part of their argument was, well, late at night, there are fewer commuters on the road. We can travel safer. Drivers get to drive when they want to. They're a lot fresher. I'm wondering, you know, whether the push and pull that we saw in the Congress of when to put people behind the wheel, whether that really pushed against the trucking industry's argument of all of this um, uh, anyway, because the accident did happen. I realize it's one of, uh, uh, you know, just one out of thousands of loads getting where they needed to go very safely. Um, but, but I do wonder whether there's any merit to that at all, this argument of, you know, trying to make drivers drive in daytime, thinking they'll be more refreshed when actually, you know, they say no at night when there are fewer commuters, but this accident did happen at night. Is that at all, you know, an issue or just a theory that's hanging out there? Um, I think there's still a very large lack of uh, hard data on this. Uh, one of the reasons that uh, there's going to be a study of this subject is uh, to get to questions like that. Um, I think any just common sense tells you that uh, if I'm a truck driver, I don't want to be stuck in uh, commuter hours and spend uh, hours get stuck in a traffic jam someplace that I might be able to avoid if I'm working in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. um, I think ultimately we're going to have to perhaps study this a little further um, and we'll just find out uh, a little bit more with experience. Mm. And, okay. this, and this study that FMCSA is required to do is going to compare, um, you know, how the new restart worked uh, with the old, uh, the previous restart uh, provisions. So uh, this is an extensive study that FMCSA is required to do and FMCSA's leadership, uh, while they strongly defend the 
the most pre the 2013 restart rules, uh, they have admit acknowledged that more information is needed in, to, in certain areas. Well, and uh, you know, even on the congressional front, I don't get the sense we've heard the last of this because many. Uh, lawmakers avowing that they're going to take this up again. Cory yeah. Booker is one of them, the senator from New Jersey. Yes. And uh, the accident happened in his state. Correct. So, it, you know, how soon, given all of the things that we've talked about so far, how soon do you think uh, when everyone reconvenes in January, this issue will be front and center again for the U.S. Congress? Well, uh, the it's worth noting uh, Senator Booker is a Democrat, and most of the opponents of this uh, of suspending the HOS uh, uh, the restart provision are Democrats. Uh, his colleague uh, Senator Richard Blumenthal of Connecticut, he's a Democrat, and Senator Blumenthal has announced that he, in the next Congress, he's going to continue uh, to. A proposed uh, legislation and work with colleagues to undo uh, the suspension. Mm. However, uh, you know the way c Congress works is that if you're in the majority, you get to control what what bills get on the floor and manage and what amendments are proposed. So Senator uh, Blumenthal and Senator Booker, being Democrats, going into the 114th Congress they don't have the leverage that they can inject uh, their, their legislative language in a major bill as an amendment mm -hmm. because the Republican leaders will be the ones controlling that. So it's going to be very difficult for them to advance that. Uh, nevertheless, I expect you know, they can have press conferences, uh, you know, they can uh, send out releases, it will get some traction. Uh, and. And, and yes, the, the both senators are going to continue. And if there is, you know, God forbid, another major accident, that again does give them some ammunition to revisit their issue. Well, it seems like we have the promise of lots of Capitol Hill drama. So oh, yeah, of all, course, yeah. We should all stay yep. tuned. Uh, I just want to remind our viewers that this is live on web by Transport Topics. Congressional reporter Eugene Malaro and senior business reporter Rip Watson are previewing key trucking issues of 2015 and reviewing those that dominated 2014. I'm managing editor Lori Grant and a reminder that you can interact with us as well. You can email share at ttnews.com or you can tweet hashtag live on web 2015 or you can comment directly on this page in the box at the top of this container. Let me see if we've got any more questions from uh, our viewers. And any more? All right, please keep our question. Oh, yes, we do. Uh, we have uh, from Gordon Klemp, CEO of National Transportation Institute. Uh, what price would federal, state, and local fuel taxes have to rise to in cents per gallon to meet our current need to update our highway system for current demand levels? Anybody want uh, to give a shot? If you, you want to, yeah, Rip. I'll take a quick stab at that but uh, and then give way to Eugene. Um, basically, uh, right now with the fuel taxes, uh, including federal and state, uh, hovering around 50 cents a gallon for both gasoline and diesel, one's a little below, one's a little bit above, um, there has been some talk that the process could uh, need to double 
in terms of the actual cents per gallon in order to meet some of the needs of uh, bringing the highways and bridges up to uh, a state of good repair. Now, having said that, um, I have to tell you, there's more than one view of this in Washington, and Eugene is our expert. <laughs> yeah. Take it away. <laughs> yeah, uh, and, you know, there's several transportation groups, and this uh, gas price debate has been going on for many years. The last time the fuel, the gas tax, federal gas tax was increased was 1993. Uh, for our, our viewers, you know, 18.4 is the gas tax, uh, the federal gas tax. Uh, diesel is at 24.4. Um, you know, some groups say we need to double that just to uh, bring the country's infrastructure in a state of good repair uh, and to maintain it. Uh, and if we were to modernize it, um, we need even more money. Uh, and it's worth noting that uh, the American Society of Civil Engineers um, has said that our country grade, gave our country's infrastructure a grade of D plus, which was actually an upgrade. They previously <laughs> gave them a, a D and a D minus. Uh, so a lot of our truckers know that our roads are aging. Uh, bridges are really getting old. You know, there's a collapsing and deteriorating infrastructure. Uh, and then on Capitol Hill, you know, I, I, you know, former uh, Secretary of Transportation, Ray LaHood, who's with the group Building America's Future, what he's saying um, is that the federal gas tax needs to be raised by 10 cents uh, in the next few years to keep the Highway Trust Fund funded. Um, and then other, you know, other groups like the Chamber of Commerce says, you know, uh, increase it by the, and index it by the rate of inflation. Okay. You know, uh, the prices have fallen quite sharply. That was a good segue uh, into this next thing I want to talk about regarding fuel prices. And we've watched in the summer, we watched crude oil go from around $100 a barrel to just earlier this month to about $60 a barrel. So, you know, sharp drop. We like it at the pump. Um, Rip, how much do truckers really like it, both on the diesel front and then when we consider there are some fleets that run gasoline. So, you know, tell us... You know, the, the impact to, to fleets. Laurie, um, there's actually a couple of things that I think we really need to focus on here. Mm -hmm. From a consumer standpoint, this is fantastic, especially if you've got a car that doesn't get particularly good gas mileage. You've got more, you're going to have more money in your pocket. I've heard estimates uh, approaching $2,000 more that the uh, average American family could have in its pocket. Uh, if these prices were to stay down for a year. So that's fantastic. From a trucking standpoint, it's a little bit different. Um, today we heard earnings from FedEx Corporation, and they talked about uh, jet fuel prices and the fact that, the, for example, jet fuel prices now are 30% below where uh, they were uh, earlier this year. However, they, that company, which uh, does both trucking and uh, air and aviation for uh, parcel and package and freight deliveries, has determined that the drop in the jet fuel price is only going to help them by eight or ten percent. Mm -hmm. That doesn't make a lot of sense on the surface, but their explanation uh, is that their fuel surcharge doesn't follow the 
actual spot price of fuel. And there is a lag, and that is one reason why there's that gap between the 30% and the 10%. Well, does that mean they bought, like, in bulk ahead of time at the higher price? Is that what's happening? That's a part of it. Um, some fuel purchases are done in advance. There's also fuel hedging that's done. So the long and short of it is that um, there is obviously going to be a little bit of benefit, but it's not going to be as great, presumably, for the truckers as it is going to be for the American public. The last thing I want to say about that, though, is that obviously if there's a lot more uh, goods being purchased because fuel prices are low, somebody is going to be wanting to uh, move that, uh, those goods in a truck. So that's a good, that's a good mm -hmm. sign. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, then, uh, Eugene, same thing uh, for the states. Uh, there's a tax on, uh, on oil revenues, and that helps states along the way. Is there anything, you know, oddly, when, when the price is going down, the tax is going down, and whatever the states want to do, they now seem to have less money to do it with. This comes even as the government is giving them less funding uh, to, to make road fixes. So how does this, how does this uh, play out for the states? Well, for... I want to say nearly a decade, uh, many states um, have been uh, looking at ways to make up a transportation uh, shortfall uh, because the federal gas tax and diesel tax has not been raised in more than 20 years. Uh, there's not a lot of aid going uh, to the states uh, to repair their bridges, uh, roads, you know, uh, water uh, supplies. So what they've done is, and what we've seen. Um, uh, recently, as recent as this year, you know, a state like New Hampshire, uh, the people there voted uh, to, um, the legislature voted and the governor signed into law a gas tax increase, uh, which, you know, we're talking people approving increases in their taxes, which is very, you know, something we don't see every day in American politics. Uh, you know, a state like Vermont raised their gas tax last year. Uh, in Michigan, the governor and, and the legislature is looking at ways to um, either raise the gas tax or also, uh, you know, find revenues in other places. Uh, and so the funding uh, question for the states is um, quite urgent. Uh, and like you said, given that, you know, members of Congress are not, um, you know, provide, are not, taking the action to uh, provide more uh, dollars, uh, you know, to state capitals. Um, and what we can expect in the coming years, you know, in 2015, is, like I said, you know, Michigan, other states, even uh, states that are, you know, uh, oil, you know, rich, uh, we can expect them to, uh, you know, advance provisions in this, around the state capitals that, um, you know, either raise the gas tax or in Oregon, you know, uh, charge people for the vehicle miles traveled. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. Well, um, Rick, one more on, uh, on, on, on this subject, and we have a question uh, that dovetails with it, and it's about what, what analysts are saying about um, prices headed into 2015. But let me read our viewer's question. It's from Todd Berger, Director of National Accounts with PECAR. And he wants to know uh, what the forecast for diesel fuel costs in 2015 will be. And based on crude uh, at less than $60 a barrel, will fleets continue to pursue alternative fuels? 
Um, as far as the question of where the, uh, fuel prices are going to be next year, um, we need to revert back and, uh, to the Karnak, the Magnificent. I think <laughs> nobody is quite sure where we're, where we're going to wind up. There seems to be some view that there's going to be a further drop. Um, but, you know, fuel prices, if you look back over time, have been extremely volatile. Um, one thing that we need to uh, keep in mind here, from the alternative fuel uh, world, the uh, alternative fuels have been very widely touted as a major benefit for trucking with gasoline prices staying high. But the benefit is uh, really that the fuel, pr the spread between the fuel price and the natural gas price. And again, we're going to have to see how that spread plays out. Uh, I can't leave this subject without noting that while there is great optimism about the potential for natural gas to help long-haul long truckers in the same way mm -hmm. that it's helped uh, refuse companies uh, and city bus lines, um, there has been only perhaps one or possibly two percent uh, market penetration so far. Hmm. Okay. Well, we've got one more for you uh, from Dan. Uh, Dan says, you've talked about the increase in demand, capacity, driver shortage, and decrease in fuel prices. How do you see that affecting rates for customers? Um, that's a really good question, and here's the reason why. Um, traditionally, freight rates have been thought of uh, as uh, a package by the shipper where somehow the fuel uh, surcharge and the uh, underlying rate per mile are somehow rolled into one. Uh, the fleets have a similar uh, view of it um, in that, you know, there's the fuel surcharge component and then there's the base rate component, whether this is a LTL or whether this is a truckload company. Um, ultimately, um, if you're the shipper, you're going to want to reduce your costs and you're going to say, hey, wait a minute, cut my rate because my, your fuel costs are going down. On the other hand, if you're the carrier, you've got a much tougher, tougher issue here because freight rates now are finally up at a level that's compensatory. The, it's helping the fleet's ability to pay the drivers more. You'd think the last thing the fleets want is to say, oh, uh, sure, we're going to give you a big break on the rates just because uh, we're paying less for fuel. Gotcha. All right. I, I want to stay with you, but I do want to change subject just a little bit and talk about profit outlooks. Um, we've been talking about these savings, especially what you know the potential for them from uh, from lower fuel costs what about uh, the profit outlook for 2015 does this go back into the bottom line for some of these businesses or what are what are analysts saying are you still got to be Karnak the magnificent uh, this bit. one this one might be a little bit easier uh, temporary at least a little bit um, what we've got here is we, there has been a very solid increase in profits uh, for a number of companies uh, as the rates have gone up, and that's a f they would all say that's fantastic. But then we've got a flip side here. People don't always recognize that there are a lot of companies that are, uh, well, may have to call them have-nots, for lack of a better word. <laughs> They're the companies where their trucks are old, they can't afford to buy new ones that are more fuel efficient, that will give them the benefits that relate to that. Uh, they may have trouble finding drivers. Uh, they, without uh, 
being able to uh, control those factors, even if they raise rates, that might not be enough. So um, it's important not to take a real huge, broad view of this. Certainly for 15, uh, there is a, an expectation that the well-run fleets are going to have a better year, and rates are going to help. Uh, lower fuel prices can't hurt. More freight because there's more uh, goods being sold because people have more money in their pocket can't hurt either. Mm. Mm. Okay, okay. Uh, that was senior business reporter Rip Watson. Also here is congressional reporter Eugene Malero. They are previewing trucking issues for 2015 on this edition of Transport Topics, live on web. I'm managing editor Lori Grant. You can join the conversation as well. Just email share at ttnews.com or tweet hashtag live on web 2015, or you can comment directly on this page in the box at the top of the container. Let's talk mergers for a little while, Rip. I want to talk with you a little bit more. Um, it's... Um, another angle regarding profits and um, for those larger companies you were just talking about that might may have a good year uh, are any of them giving any hint at what they might do with their largesse any of them talking about capex yet or anything like that that might give us a glimpse as to well, <laughs> what it means let's <laughs> stop right there for a minute there's probably not too many uh, trucking companies out there, they're going to talk about largesse because uh, I don't think they think of it that way. I think mm -hmm. of it, I think they think of it as making up for uh, bad, for some tough years. Um, I think they probably view things a little bit more like a farmer who's, um, the, the conventional wisdom here is, you know, if you have one good year and seven, you can stay in business. So uh, <laughs> hopefully you're, they're going to have more than that. Now, having said that, mergers. Um, today, uh, or earlier this week actually, FedEx said they were going to buy one of the largest logistics companies in uh, North America called Jenko. Uh, earlier this month, or a few weeks ago, we saw C.H. Robinson, the largest freight broker, go out and buy a business called Freight Quote, which uh, has a niche that's well established in logistics. So. Um, I think there's no question if you look back, there are a lot of companies that want to be active in the merger and acquisition world. XPO Logistics is one, Roadrunner Transportation Systems is another. Um, and there's certainly, by any stretch of the imagination in both truckload and brokerage uh, and logistics in general, a hugely uh, unconcentrated, hugely fragmented business, and as such, uh, there is tremendous opportunity. Uh, companies, if they are richer, are going to be more interested uh, in looking, but as uh, Fred Smith, the CEO and founder of FedEx, said today, um, they're really going to be looking for the right fit, and they're not going to look to uh, overpay. That's just good, sound business, and that's going to be there, uh, not just in 2015, but going forward. Hmm. What about um, in terms of buying equipment? We've seen record uh, pace in both truck orders and truck sales, and um, just makes me wonder, can that pace continue? Are they you know, talking now, if at all, about whether they'll buy more equipment? Um, what, we, what, you know, what are your analysts, anybody forecasting about orders or sales? Well, um, a key thing to remember here is that 
and I'll need to credit a American Trucking Association's uh, economist, uh, Bob Costello. Uh, he's pointed out recently that all of this surge in business uh, for the tr uh, manufacturers is replacement, um, that the number of trucks on the road hasn't really risen. Um, and there's the question then becomes, next year, if truckers have a little more productivity because of the hours of service uh, uh, turn back, if you will, or step back, um, maybe that's going to reduce their need for equipment. Um, but if companies have money, uh, ultimately they are going to have to uh, buy. The question is, are they ever going to get to the same level that they were at back in 2006 mm -hmm. when the uh, environmental rules changed and there was a huge pre-buy? Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you for that. Eugene, um, along those same lines um, with equipment, size and weight issues were a regulatory concern. Uh, pretty much unresolved this year. Yeah. So is it likely to come up next year uh, in the Congress as well? What's your sense? Uh, there's going to be a push by some of the uh, Western states, uh, transportation uh, advocates and uh, transportation leaders in, throughout the Western states, Wyoming, Idaho, Utah, uh, and they're going to urge uh, leaders on Capitol Hill um, you know, to relax uh, you know, federal provisions on, federal regulations on size and weight, but this is an issue that's been going on for a long time, uh, and the trucking industry and, you know, the rail industry have been going at it for many years, and it, again, even though, um, you know, some of the western states might bring it up, and a group such as the Western States Transportation Alliance, uh, you know, they're going to push for it, uh, it's really unlikely to, um, Gets, uh, get traction, see, see any traction. Uh, and even if uh, they manage to get it in a, a piece of legislation, say the highway bill or a funding bill, uh, again, you know, we're going to have gridlock on Capitol Hill. So, uh, you know, this highway bill might not even, you know, see the light of day. So, uh, but yeah, it'll come up. But like I said, it's a, you know, this is something that's been going on for many years. No, any, question, any business perspective, really? no question from a business perspective, uh, there are fleets that are going to want um, to have either larger uh, trucks for the, in the less than truckload business where there can be 18% more uh, goods carried without increasing the actual weight of the truck. Um, and there will be those who are going to want to increase um, the weight limit from the current 80,000 pounds on a nationwide level. Um, to somewhere uh, 80, 80, 88, 89, or perhaps higher. But as Eugene said, you know, the, the chances of this getting done are always going to be uh, very small. The railroad industry has been very effective keeping uh, the size and weight nationwide frozen at the 80,000-pound level. Correct, mm -hmm. yeah. Well, you know, um, we started out talking about this huge demand in freight, <laughs> and um, it, and I'm just wondering, will the industry, will, will those, are those types of things that will force the industry to push a little harder to try to get this? Because they've got so much that they have to move. We were talking about freight. We are talking about, you know, demand and capacity. I can't, I can't resist. I've got to answer this one the way I feel. Um, what goes on in Washington doesn't reflect what happens right. in the business That's world what I wanted to get at. more <laughs> often than not, and probably almost all the time. So whatever... Um, the D.C. Uh, 
folks, the lobbyists and the uh, members of Congress uh, decide on this issue, there is always uh, going to be a reality that is not la um, caught up or matched up, excuse me, in uh, the same way. Okay, all right. And that's a, yeah, and you know, Congress, historically, uh, critics of Congress say that, uh, you know, federal lawmakers are a step or two behind the times, mm -hmm. you know, uh, that, you know, uh, they're the last ones to come in on big hot button social issues and in transportation they're no different you okay. know there's a lot of technology out there you know not that beyond trucking you know we're talking uh, electric vehicles and uh, other technology alternative fuels and it's the uh, Capitol Hill that you know critics say has been dragging their feet and slow to arrive at these issues all right great we're going to talk about tech uh, more tech issues in a minute uh, but we have a question uh, from Mike Lore, and Mike says what will be the positive and negative effects of the current oil surplus which industries will benefit which will suffer as they relate to the freight to freight demand are there geographic effects any uh, uh, rip I'm going to try that real quickly. I mean, we've talked about some of the uh, effects uh, about from the companies. We haven't talked about one really important issue here, which is that the U.S. has done a tremendous job through uh, activities in states like Texas, North Dakota, and elsewhere um, at uh, developing domestic oil production. No question. Uh, that has certainly made the world better off, but there is the issue of on the side of these companies that have made all these investments may not be so interested in doing them if oil prices are mm. down in the 50 or X number of dollars a barrel level. And we need to remember that a tremendous amount of the economic growth in this past few years has been tied to fracking, whether you uh, that's used for uh, energy exploration, whether you oppose it or you don't, and some people don't like it, the fact is it has definitely been an economic stimulus. Now, we'll, when that goes away uh, or goes down because of the lower oil prices, uh, how is that going to affect uh, the country? Well. Um, if Karnak was here, he could answer that. I can't. <laughs> and neither can I. You want to give it a crack? Um, you know, I just second what, you know, Rip says. And, you know, it's just the uncertainty is still looming. Sure. And, uh, and it's kind of like a, you know, to be, you have to just wait and see what's going to happen. Okay, fair enough. Uh, we've got another one from Brad Larson, logistics manager at WineGuard for RIP. What is your opinion on the effects of dimensional LTL pricing versus the standard NMFC pricing? Now, we're going to talk, when we talk about technology in a bit, we can get into that or we, we can move to let's, it now. You ready? Let's talk briefly about dimensioners. Um, the trucking industry in the less than truckload sector has been wedded to something called the classification system, the National Motor Freight Classification System, uh, for decades. Um, it was around in textbooks when I was in graduate school back in the 1890s and practically before that as well, perhaps. Uh, but what's happened is the use of uh, te new technology that will essentially weigh uh, and 
measure the uh, shipment by using yeah. uh, an overhead beam, the kind of like a laser, essentially, that uh, that will ultimately, from the company's standpoint, perhaps help them because there is some feeling that shippers don't always tell the total truth about what's in their shipments. Now the companies can get that information and price it uh, appropriately. The other fact that's uh, going on here is that um, the motor freight classification it can be a costly process no matter how good you are at doing it. Um, so some people think that it will simplify the pricing process and perhaps help the companies do that uh, at a lower price in order to move their goods. So there are some potential benefits there, just like there is from technology throughout the industry. Great. Well, that's a good segue because Eugene, I wanted to know um, about a lot of the technological change that's um, is, is headed uh, the industry's way, um, is regulated as well uh, via the government. So tell me, what are some of the new tech-related regulations coming uh, out? E something that is not yet a regulation, it's just that, you know, if we look at technology in the future, there's uh, we might eventually see trucks that drive themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, Daimler uh, has proposed, you know, trucks that can operate by remote control. But uh, when we talk about regulation, Pretty much the main one are the what a lot of people know the electronic logging devices, and that is um, you know this um, these machines inside um, you know the trucks uh, to record uh, the hours that a, a driver has uh, been on the road, um, and uh, from FMCSA. We're expecting uh, guidelines and a rule on this, um, and they, the agency had said they had until uh, September 30th for publication of this rule. However, uh, this the omnibus bill that was signed into law last night, there is language in this bill, which is law now, uh, requiring the agency to uh, propose to release their rule on electronic logging devices by June 1st mm. of 2015. Well, Eugene, you've got to remember something here, though. Um, this is uh, the government, as a rule, doesn't always meet these deadlines. Oh, that yeah. <laughs> this has happened. No, no. In fact, it's probably unusual that they do. And they, and, and in the, um, I was just going to say, in, this, uh, in the omnibus law that was signed last night, uh, it says that FMCSA has to meet this June 1st deadline, but there's no penalty for it. And typically when... Um, so what does that mean? If they miss it, they miss it. If they miss it, you can have somebody representing FMCSA say, hey, we're, be we we're behind schedule. Okay. And you can well, have lawmakers call them up on Capitol Hill and they, they'll explain themselves. There's one other little facet of this we have to touch on. Um, this... Law, this electronic logging device uh, is something that is very much disliked by a lot of truckers. They feel like it's intrusive, yes. it's an invasion of privacy, uh, and there are, have been lawsuits that have uh, stopped this in its tracks before. One last thing I want to mention real quickly about this, um, there are many fleets that use these devices that they really like them and they think this helps to keep their drivers safe and keeps them compliant with the hours of service rule. Uh, they're very eager to have everybody else uh, live by the same rules that they are because they feel like there are some folks out there who will cheat 
and drive quite a bit beyond the allowable hours. Okay. But are there any other um, electronic devices out there, telematics or anything like that, designed to either, you know, to help the driver in any way, anything on the on that front business? Well, uh, there's no question there's a huge uh, world of technology, and I hope another uh, webinar gets into that um, because there is uh, all sorts of collision avoidance technology. There's technology um, that theoretically could keep drivers more alert. There's, uh, there's technology that uh, will give them constant feedback on how well they're doing in terms of fuel economy, how well they're doing in terms of hard braking. Uh, there is uh, a, a whole world out there. I, speaking of technology, one other thing. Sorry to drag it on a little. No, no, no. Um, We're listening. There is, in addition to the autonomous vehicles that Eugene was talking about, there's also, um, there was a very highly publicized and extremely clever piece of marketing by Amazon a year ago uh, when they trotted out a drone. Uh, to deliver packages. Uh, at some point, we're going to see something like that there, perhaps, and perhaps very soon. Uh, there's a lot of feeling that uh, that would be a very efficient way to deliver goods. Okay, okay. Well, uh, kind of, uh, you know, not, not exactly um, uh, on the uh, the tech front, but but another one. Uh, and there's a, and in technology, there's also um, a lot of people know there's devices that will notify drivers about availability for parkings uh, when they're on their routes. And the parking issue when uh, truckers are and you know on the road working mm -hmm. has been a constant. Do problem. those things require regulation, or are those are things um, that are being developed that no, just I help think, the industry um, in general? Yeah, I think there's just uh, helpful tools, and you know that they're more at the state level. Some of them, so like state DOTs notify sure. drivers. Well, I've got another question, uh, uh, state level, if we, if we can answer it, if we know. Uh, this one is coming from Dan. What do you see happening with the CARB compliance procedures in California, and do you think it will spread out to other states? This is essentially uh, an EPA regulating uh, carbon emissions, correct? Do we know um, whether other states, there, in, any other states have uh, something like this in mind? Do we know? Um, I believe uh, some of the states um, in the Northeast are considering this language, but it's premature. Uh, California is very progressive on this issue, so they've really um, mm -hmm. gone ahead. But pretty much, you know, there's some law state lawmakers, you know, are enthusiastic about mm -hmm. cutting emissions, uh, but we haven't seen such a, a big momentum sure. around the country. Well, California and its smog problem and Correct, yeah. its initiatives behind clean air, I'm sure, Let's, drive it for California. Yeah. Let's uh, look at this in a, from a little bit different angle. Um, in California in 2006, the uh, Los, Los Angeles and Long Beach, the two largest ports, uh, put in a requirement that the truckers who use those ports uh, use newer trucks and uh, without getting too far into it, you know, uh, there was a very difficult issue relating to uh, employee mandates that uh, was uh, delayed some of this, but the bottom line is that the rule, the effort by those ports to force cleaner air, uh, you know, truckers uh, in those locations is something that is happening elsewhere. Now, do you believe that California 
uh, leads the nation. California would say that, and I think some other <laughs> folks would. But um, this, at least in the local port trucking world, it has taken quite a few years to move from the clean air plan in Southern California to uh, the rest of the country. Okay, okay. I've got uh, one more, uh, Rip, I think it's for you. It's from our viewer, Fleet Zoo. Do you think trucking companies will adopt more planning and optimization technologies in 2015 to cope with the industry challenges and improve their bottom line? Um, I think there's no question that uh, there has been tremendous interest in any sort of optimization and any sort of uh, transportation management tools. Uh, companies, now that they have some more money, uh, could choose to spend it there. I think there has been some companies that have done a tremendous amount in that area. Uh, I also would just point out, again, we're, uh, we've got the road forking here, and some companies just don't have the money uh, to make that kind of an investment, and those that don't could fall behind. Okay. All right. Uh, uh, Eugene, I want to uh, flip back to something on the government front and talk about uh, nominees in the spending bill and all of the uh, toing and froing to try to get uh, Harry Reid was quite, quite, quite um, savvy there. So I want to know, uh, Senator Majority Leader Harry Reid of Nevada, a Democrat, he pushed through key executive branch nominations. They seemed to be stalled. They had president had put them forward, you know, a while ago. Which of these nominees are important to trucking, to transportation in um, general? Yeah, right now the big name, uh, and he was confirmed last night, is uh, Mark Ruskind. Um, he was uh, uh, most recently a member of the National, a uh, board member of the National Transportation Safety Board, uh, and now uh, he had, was confirmed by the Senate uh, to be a director, administrator of the National Highway Transportation Safety Administration, and uh, they that that agency has uh, oversight of some of uh, trucking um, provisions on efficiency and also. Um, you know, with the logistics on size and how they operate, um, you know, in, in respect to, you know, like safety conditions. Um, uh, so Roskind, he's our, a big player, and, uh, you know, and then the big one that we're waiting for, and so far is uh, the FMCSA. We don't have a uh, permanent director at FMCSA and now, um, so we know we have no indication from the White House as to who's going to be the nominee to take over that uh, the agency permanently. Uh, Acting Administrator Scott Darling, um, he obviously has to be on the short list of uh, uh, potential candidates, uh, but you know a lot of people on the inside in the trucking industry, transportation world, uh, and you know, and sources on Capitol Hill, they're not hearing a lot about you know who the administration is going to nominate or or when uh, for to take over FMCSA, and that's something that we'll see in the next year. Uh, and politically, the White House has to uh, nominate. Somebody who can get through, you know, get the support of uh, Chairman John Thune over at the Senate Commerce Committee, get a lot of support from, you know, Republicans, and you know, don't and somebody who doesn't have uh, 
uh, lack of a better term, a red flag that, uh, mm -hmm. that uh, on a hot button issue uh, that a, a senator might object to. And this could not be transportation related. It could be immigration or other stuff. Okay. You know, so um, TBD on an FMCSA uh, nominee. Well, let me ask you this, though, about the FMCSA. Uh, when you've had, or, or maybe it applies in general, is this person's going to be the shoe in to run the agency. Yeah. Is that not, uh, are we wrong to think that way oh, yeah. when it comes to government agencies? Yes. If someone could run it and the president just nominates somebody uh, totally yeah. different to do this? Uh, you know, I don't want to say oftentimes, but it is very common for the administration to, uh, if an agency head is stepping down, step down due to controversy or because they were retiring anyway, uh, for the administration to um, put somebody in an interim basis, acting capacity, uh, and that person is not their ideal candidate. They just want somebody to, you know, run the ship uh, until they get somebody uh, in the, you know, down the pine. So uh, what, politically what we saw and what a lot of people were thinking is that the Obama administration waited to see what happened after the midterms, waited to see if the Senate's still going to be Democrat, and that presumably will influence his decision. Uh, if the Democrats stayed in control of the Senate, maybe he would have nominated somebody else, you know, and now that the Republicans are in charge, he may go with somebody, like I said, who um, will get support from Senator John Thune and others. Okay, all right. Well, um, we're going to check w uh, just to see whether we've got um, any more questions from our viewers, and you're still welcome to send us any questions your way. Send, send us questions our way. Rip, have you heard who might take over FMCSA? Uh, no, I haven't. Okay. All right. Well, seems like we will have to uh, leave it there for now then. I'm Lori Grant, Managing Editor of Transport Topics. It was my pleasure to host our final edition of Live on Web. Thanks to my colleagues, senior business reporter Rip Watson and congressional reporter Eugene Mulero. Our production team, Kevin Eaton, Brandon Green, Tara McClellan, Shehab Mustafa, Jacqueline O'Laughlin, Joseph Terry, and digital media editor Gary Kaczynski. And of course, Thank you for watching and participating. For uh, more information or to follow uh, Live on Web, please go to liveonweb.ttnews.com.